Hey there, thank you. Welcome to the Film Fan Club Show. I'm Sam Carrico. I hope everybody had a fun Halloween. I know I did. Later on, we'll be talking about what movie I saw over Halloween weekend, but a lot of movie news has happened too. Sony dropped the ball and released a new trailer for the Morbius movie two days after Halloween. I mean, come on guys, it's a vampire movie. That was sitting right there. The trailer itself seemed to be a rehash of the first one with several references to the larger Spider-Man universe that honestly feel kind of desperate. I think they literally referenced the Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire versions of Spider-Man all in this one trailer. Then straight up name dropping Venom? I mean, okay, Sony, we get it. You own the rights to these characters, move on. Meanwhile, The Matrix Resurrections comes out in December, and Warner Brothers has partnered with Nifty to launch 100,000 Matrix-inspired NFTs. I honestly have no idea what this means, except that my younger brother tells me I should be excited about it for some reason. Then he tells me I should invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> but I do have some sad news for you guys. Yeah, Chris Pratt has been cast in yet another upcoming animated film. This time he'll be playing Garfield the Cat. The release date is still to be determined, but my favorite comment when we shared this on our Facebook page was Todd Pitts who wrote, My kids are just gonna think that's how cartoons sound. Finally, I saw the movie last night in Soho over Halloween weekend, and I gotta say, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed director Edgar Wright's previous work on Baby Driver, which probably has the most cancelled cast you could imagine right now. Last Night in Soho stars Thomasin McKenzie as Ellie Turner. She's a nervous fashion student who moves to an apartment in Soho. That's where Ellie begins to dream of Anya Taylor-Joy as Sandy, who herself is a 1960s performer who falls for Matt Smith. If the plot sounds complicated, you wouldn't be the only one who thinks so. Edgar Wright's style and approach to this material leans into the chaotic nature of the story. The camera work can feel discombobulating at times, but none of this really bothered me. I was taken in by this original story that Wright describes as a psychological thriller. I knew Anya Taylor-Joy would be great in her role, but Thomas and McKenzie is a standout here as well. And Matt Smith, well, is good at being what the story needs him to be, which is an unlikable asshole. A huge departure from his role as Doctor Who. The soundtrack is full of earworms, the songs fit the story of course, but I found myself listening to them days after leaving the theater. The production design is also on point. This all contributes to the movie feeling like you're really in the 60s. The era at times feels romanticized in a way that makes it seem like this was all done with a lot of care. That's not to say the movie can't be dark when it needs to though. This story was surprising. There were times when I thought I knew how it was going to go, but then it would just throw me for a loop. The ending may be divisive for some audiences, but the reveal made logical sense to me, and honestly it kind of had me going, good for her. Really the only downside of seeing Last Night in Soho was that my date from the evening doesn't want to go on another one. So ladies, as always, my links are in the description. Okay, we've got a great show for you lined up. Later on, we're going to be talking about the new Eternals movie. It came out over the weekend, and critics' ratings have been lower than usual. We'll dig into why. And but first, John Lian is here to talk about the new Dune movie. We're a couple weeks behind on that one, so let's not waste a moment more. Okay, joining me now, he is a recovering photojournalist currently based in Nebraska. John Lian is back with us. Hey, John. Hi. It's good to see you, and uh, it's good. I wanted to talk to you particularly about this movie. We both saw Dune, uh, HBO Max. It came out a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's. 
I, a lot of fanfare going into this movie. It's kind of, a lot of people are saying this is a inspiration for Star Wars. Of course, the original book, inspiration for Star Wars and the sci-fi genre uh, in general. There's a lot that I liked about this movie. Uh, there's a lot that I found I was kind of mixed on, but I'm curious, like, what was your anticipation level going into Dune? And then how did it hit you when you first saw it? I haven't read the books, so I don't have a lot of, like, the actual context of what the real story is you know a lot of people don't like it but i really like the david lynch movie because it's weird and villeneuve is great so i was pretty optimistic about it um and i think largely it met most of my expectations i you know it it got that kind of like um it's half a story right and so i feel like it'll be better when the sequel comes out and you just watch it back to back and just get the whole thing. But I liked all of the stuff in this one and think it could be a really good like part one of a two-part story. I was also similarly, I hadn't seen the David Lynch movie, but I really pre uh, appreciated Denis Villeneuve's uh, previous efforts. You and I both are pretty big fans of Blade Runner 2049. I think that film is a beautiful story and movie that just go really well together. So I was really looking forward just to see a new Dini Villeneuve movie. But I just feel like this might be the first crack in the armor. There were a couple issues that I had. Uh, of course, the length, you know, that this is a two hour, nearly two hour, 40 minute movie. I think it's like two hour 35 or so, including the credits. And mm -hmm. given that this is just the first half of one book, I feel like that there could have been a little bit of a brisker pace, you know? I feel like there could have been better pacing. But then as a story structure, I felt like the ending was kind of anticlimactic. And I understand it is Dune Part 1. But just having, I feel like there's a huge battle sequence towards like the middle of the film. And then the, there's a lot of kind of wandering and then kind of getting to know the landscape of this planet in the second half. Of course, there's some of that at the beginning, but there's also, it's kind of like backloaded, I felt like with a lot of trekking around. I just felt like the story structure of this film just kind of suffered a little bit too. I mean, I agree. <laughs> I still think like largely, I think it was cool. I liked all the parts of it. You know, I liked uh, most of the action scenes. The sound design is amazing. Uh, the camera work is great. It does suffer a little bit pacing-wise from that fact that it is... And the story of Dune takes place in so many different places and has so much politicking and weird tech in it that it has to explain for stuff to make any sense. And, you know, we got to explain what the spice is and the sandworms and the Bene Gesserit. There's like a lot of really dense information that needs to be dumped in order to understand the context of the story. And so it can feel drawn out. But at the same time, how long was the Snyder League Justice Cut movie? My, my point being also too, I think we've reached an era where you can do a four hour film if you're gonna, which this film was also, I watched on HBO Max. You could do the whole book, and I feel like you could do the whole book justice in a Snyder Cut type of way, in a Netflix miniseries type of way. I just don't feel like the, the, 
and this is really sacrilege for me to say, I feel like, I don't think the, the mainstream feature film uh, medium really worked for translating this. I think this would have been better as a four hour, if the whole book was a four hour Snyder cut epic type of thing that was released exclusively on HBO Max. I know that that would probably be against what Dean Villeneuve wanted because uh, he probably wanted, you know, theatrical uh, IMAX release. But, but I don't know. I think that the story would have probably, I would have probably found, again, like you're saying, that, that satisfaction that hopefully we'll get with Dune Part 2. I feel like I would have gotten that more if they just would have, you know, committed to doing, uh, you know, doing it all as one. I think, I mean, it, I think it'd be super cool to have done both parts and just done an eight-hour movie and still shown it in the IMAX. But you wouldn't have made much money that way. <laughs> That's a very fair counterpoint. Let's back up and focus on on what we like, because I feel like I front loaded this interview with a lot of negativity that we can't talk enough about the production design. Denis Villeneuve did a great job bringing the world of Blade Runner to life. This is something that's been tackled before, like you said, in the David Lynch movie, but I feel like they're able to create a very distinct world. What did you make of the world building here? And there's a lot of really cool stuff in it. I liked the shield tech, even though I think sometimes the combat, so they establish that slow knives get through the shields, right? And then they do a bunch of fight scene tutorial stuff, basically, where they're like, this is how the shields work. And then some of the fight scenes just end up being quick hack and slash things that are competently choreographed as fight scenes. But then a kill move just looks just as fast as any of the other moves that have been happening. And so it, then you go, well, why did that one flash red and the other ones all flash blue? But even so, they were still cool fight scenes. It was just like there was that little piece of information in the back of my head going like, why is that happening? So you've seen the David Lynch film. How Do you like how this film kind of differs or does it differ in terms of production design? And did you like how it differs in terms of production design? It definitely differs in the production design. You know, this one is cleaner. I think even though some parts are intentionally dirtier, but just because of modern technology and stuff like that, it all looks smoother and more cleanly animated and CGI'd. Uh, but then there are other parts that I think like the Harkonnens, I think are cooler in the Lynch one. I don't know what they're like in the books, but in the Lynch movie, uh, Baron Harkonnen like collects infectious diseases and he pulls a heart plug out of like a young nubile boy slave and like bathes in blood. And in this one, he kind of just floats and is menacing and sits in a pile of black goo, which is uncomfortable, right? And you know, it, you don't like seeing it, but it's not as freaky as the Lynch Arconan. Uh, well, it's David Lynch, so I guess that's a little bit to be expected. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but then I also like the sound design in this a lot better from just the soundtrack to also like the actual sound effects. There's a point where uh, Paul first steps foot on Arrakis, on the sands of Arrakis, and there's this like boom no kind of noise, and there's a bunch of other stuff going on all around them. And it's really like that was a really cool intentional choice that I liked that I don't really remember being in the David Lynch one. 
I agree. This film had really good uh, sound design. There's and and a pretty good serviceable soundtrack for the most part. There's one thing that I will point out, and this is the same problem that I had with the Snyder cut. Is there's a um um I don't know how they call it, like a, a yodeling kind of thing effect that they they do. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like it's, the like chanting. Yeah. Or not it, the chanting. The like. Yeah, I don't vocalizing know the female yeah. <laughs> vocalizing that happens like 78 times in this two and a half hour movie it mm -hmm. gets so old so fast and it got really old in the snyder cut and it's it feels so copy paste uh, copy pasted I mean, from the other from the snyder cut for the snyder cut to me it got old because it was like a musical cue for every time wonder woman did something right it, it was like I don't see the I fail to see the difference here. Well, in Dune, they're not using it as an accentuation of a Fremen doing something cool. There, it's just like kind of like the society in which the Fremen live might have that kind of musical styling, and so then they include it. It's like the 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 Emperor's soldiers, the Sarduk, the Sardukar. The, the badass emperor's army guys, they all have this like planet where they have weird Mongolian throat singing. And it's weird, but it's cool as an accentuation of what like the culture of those people are. And so it serves more of a purpose, even if it does feel like something that we've seen cartoonishly used in Wonder Woman or Justice League or any of those other kinds of cheaper things and another thing though is my is the 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 number of times the quantity of how how often it gets used mm. i feel like in dune as well as the snyder cut like again in the snyder cut wouldn't have bothered me that much if it was just once or twice and in, in same like here it wouldn't have bothered me if it was just once or twice but it's so often i feel like i just got so tired of it i don't remember noticing it more than maybe two times like i remember noticing it once and being like oh that reminds me of justice league <laughs> And then not noticing it the rest of the time. <laughs> well, if there's if there's one thing I'm known for, it's I have an amazing memory. No, I don't. I have a terror. I have a really bad memory. Let's talk about the characters or the actors for a second. Um, what did you think also, since you've seen the previous Dune movie, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Timmy himself, you know, plays the lead character here. I thought it was an interesting choice. It really seems like Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya is in everything. Uh, Zendaya is in every movie except for this one, apparently. But... Uh, <laughs> She wasn't that. Could you imagine being a Zendaya fan and like going to see this movie just for Zendaya? <laughs> I bet she be... gets a lot of screen time in the sequel, though. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't wait two years. Uh, but what did you think of these characters, particularly our leads? I thought they were good. I mean, uh, I think Timothy Chalamet did a really good job of portraying Paul. I think he works a little bit, a little bit better physically for than Kyle MacLachlan. Kyle MacLachlan looked like a full-grown man I feel like and Timothy Chalamet is younger and maybe a little lankier and sort of fits visually I feel like more with the sort of out of his element relatively well off but now sort of betrayed and on the run sort of thing and also I just feel like he's maybe is a bit more of an expressive actor but also Paul gets a lot more characterization in this one than he does in the Lynch movie like in the Lynch movie it's just like here are the story beats we're moving on now and in this one you get a lot more of like how Paul feels about his dad or his relationships with other people um and like the things that he's seeing 
vision wise. And so I think maybe it might just be that this movie gives more characterization to the character. Yeah, he he is he like a chosen one type of type of thing going on here. Yeah, I mean he's like bred over a course of marriage manipulations by the Bene Gesserit to create the chosen one, but he's not supposed to be the chosen one because his mom was supposed to have a daughter. <laughs> There's a lot of shit going on in Dune that didn't even make it into this movie, and this movie is two and a half hours for half the book. <laughs> My point is, and I said this before we started rolling, if you can make The Fellowship of the Ring into one satisfying movie, which a lot of people would say that they did, you can make Dune, which is also around the same length, you could probably make it into one satisfying movie. And I bet some people would say they already have. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about Dune, though? I feel like I'm being pretty negative about it. I, I just feel like there is not a lot of personality to it, and the pace were really my big problems with it. The world building is really good. I enjoyed it. I think the cast is, is decent enough. There's not really enough Zendaya, but I don't know. There's a certain charm that other movies have. I think Blade Runner 2049 has, but this movie just doesn't, you know? I'll probably see the second one, but I'm very lukewarm on it. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, I mean, I told my brother that if I were him, I would wait until the second one comes out and just watch them both together. Uh, because there were a, there was most of this movie I really enjoyed. And there were a couple things about it that I was like, ah, you know, I... I would have, I kind of would have liked a little bit more there, or, uh, you know, this could have been more interesting, or they could have put a little more thought into that. But yeah, overall, I mean, I've, I've watched it twice, and I'd be down to watch it again. I mean, I watched it once just watching it, and then I watched it once a little later to refresh myself for our conversation. Um, I don't know, there's a lot of specific things in it that I just was like whoa that was so good oh that was such a good sequence of shots oh that editing composition was really crazy oh that sound design was super cool oh that part was really badass oh I really like those little spinny bombs that bust through the shields and then explode you know yeah, the like, world building's really cool yeah I love gadgets mm -hmm. and cool things like that that I haven't seen before <laughs> I think the dragonfly you know the dragonfly oh, things the dragonfly helicopters. very cool <laughs> but like when you're talking about like oh that was a really cool sound effect this was really cool things you know in terms of just being a good film I can get a lot of those things from last night in Soho for instance which I also which I saw recently very good story to it as well I was very more enthralled with the story for something like last night in Soho as well as being captivated by the production design and the editing and the sound design and all that sort of stuff so my point I guess my recommendation would be if you want a good well put together product a holistic product last night in Soho would be your thing uh John would you recommend Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> yeah that's a good movie <laughs> John Leon, thank you so much yeah thanks for having me and finally, the new Marvel movie Eternals was released over the weekend, and while I still haven't seen it yet, just watching the critics' reactions roll in has been fascinating. The movie currently sits at a 48% score on Rotten Tomatoes among critics, but the audience aggregate is currently at 81%. This situation had me revisiting a video I made five years ago titled, Movie Critics Aren't Biased, You Are. 
At the time, Suicide Squad was just about to come out, and similarly, critics were giving it bad reviews. Its Rotten Tomatoes score was down in the 30s, so DC fans were crying foul, arguing that movie critics had an anti-DC slant at the time. I responded to this by saying no, of course movie critics aren't biased against comic book movies. We, as comic book fans, are biased towards comic book movies. The problem is not that critics are biased against DC movies. It's not the problem that critics are the one that are biased. It's the problem is that you're biased. You don't want Marvel movies to be good. You want DC movies to be good, which is why you're coming out and criticizing these critics who have seen a movie that you haven't even seen yet. But what I failed to consider at the time was the undue influence of access journalism. Movie critics have gotten so used to one-on-one -on -one interviews with the stars, promotional swag boxes, and of course, those sweet VIP tickets to red carpet premieres that they hardly stray from the studio-approved narrative in my opinion, that's how you end up with movies like Star Wars The Last Jedi being hailed as a triumph. But think about how bad Eternals must be for even these critics. Critics who are already planning what they'll wear to their next red carpet premiere. Even they're looking at something like Eternals and saying, you know what? This ain't it. So my conclusion here is a little bit more nuanced than last time. Yes, access journalism is a problem, and it can lead to a lot of movie critics being more biased towards one movie studio or a film franchise than another. But in the case of Eternals, movie critics aren't biased. You are. Okay, that's our show. I'd like to send a special thank you to John Lian for putting up with me bashing Dune for 20 minutes straight. And you, our viewers, thank you so much for checking this video out, guys. I'll see you in the next one.